0: You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host Kristen Harcourt and I'm excited for another wonderful wonderful guest. And today I'm going to be speaking with Mary Beth Highland and she is an author, speaker and award-winning company culture expert. She's the founder and chief visionary, love that name, of Spark Vision. And she has a new book that just came out and all of you who have been regulars on the show, you know, I'm going to love the name of this book. So I'm showing it up here for people that are watching on video. The book is called permission to be human, a conscious leader's guide to creating a values driven culture. Welcome to the show, Mary Beth,
1: such a gift to be here with you and your community. Thank
0: you. Uh, you're so welcome, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. There's there's so much I'd like to chat with you about. And as a starting point, I would love to hear, before we get into the book and Permissions to Be Human, because I'm, I'm excited to help everyone understand what that means, but tell me a little bit around what got you to this place you're at right now and, and, and getting into the work that you're currently doing. I'd love to hear a bit more about your story.
1: Yeah, Thank you. Well, I am very fortunate that I really kind of stumbled into this work. I think that a lot of times people assume you have a specific degree or, you know, a specific certification that got you especially into workplace culture where I am now because it's become such a important conversation and been taking up a lot more space in people's understanding of what matters. Um, but really, it was an experience where prior to starting my company, Spark Vision, six years ago, I had the privilege of leading a young professionals program at United Way, which is a nonprofit organization. So, so I was part of the local chapter here in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, but it's a part of a global network. It happens to be the largest nonprofit in the world. And so when I was there, I got this amazing opportunity to take over the unprofessionals program that had checked all the right boxes as far as great website, great marketing collateral, right? All the bells and whistles were checked off as far as the appearances were concerned, but there weren't, there wasn't engagement. There were not people coming. There weren't people coming back over and over again. Um, people were there because their boss told them they needed to be there, not because they wanted to. And so I had the wonderful opportunity of being able to take over the leadership and meet people where they were to understand how could we create a culture, an experience, a community where people wanted to be and that we were really activating our shared values together. So within a year, the membership quadrupled, and within a year and a half, it became the best practice model for all young professional engagement for the entire world, for United Way. So it was really, like, shocking, right? It was one of these, like, whoa, how is that possible that I've been doing this for such a short period of time, and it's getting this global recognition? Um, But then at the same time, it was a really beautiful understanding in myself that what I was doing was actually a superpower, there was a lot of gifts involved in how do you create a culture that reflects your values, how do you bring people together through those shared beliefs, how do you empower people to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And those seemed pretty intuitive to me in my work and my processes. And so it was awesome to start getting calls from all over the world with people asking me, how could they replicate that? How could they do that? And so that was when I became a, a quote unquote consultant, right, within the system of teaching people how to create environments and cultures where people could thrive. And then it got to a point where I was getting so many people asking for this type of support that I thought if this one organization needs this much, how many more organizations in the world need this much support, right? If I'm just doing this as an, as an intrapreneur. And so it was a really exciting process to be able to step out on my own. And because of the work that I did was such a community-facing experience, I was very fortunate to have a strong reputation and network And be able to start doing meaningful work in large organizations like Johns Hopkins and Cystic Fibrosis Foundation nationally to start doing culture efforts and initiatives that I think a lot of people who do have degrees and certifications, these things are like really working hard to get into those places. And it it just became a very natural and organic experience with a lot of intentional energy and effort right at the same time.
0: Wow. I, I mean, of course, you know, I'm going to want to dig in a little bit with this particular situation that got you into this with the 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 culture change, because, you know, I know there are going to be leaders who are listening today and they're going to say, well, we want this for our organization. They do. They want it, but they're not going about doing it the right way, perhaps. Or, um, you know, they're doing one thing that's working well, but other things that aren't working well. And so it, it sounds like this organization before they did have some challenges with engagement. And I'm sure when you're going into an organization and working with them in this capacity, there's lots of different steps and places that you go. But what do you notice in terms of some of the common patterns uh, or behaviors, a way that organization is operating that are contributing to this lack of engagement and lack of alignment with values? And perhaps sometimes they haven't even defined values. But where's a starting place that you go with organizations when they're saying, Hey, Mary Beth, but we're noticing we're not really as engaged. Our, our workforce is not as engaged as we'd like them to be. And we, we we're ready for some change. We're ready that we want to do things differently. What are some of the things that you do with them?
1: Yeah, well, for starters, the majority of organizations that are experiencing that type of a thing, disengagement, right, are likely in a place where they've stopped listening, Or they're not in a place where they're inviting people to speak up and then do something about what they heard versus be a victim of whatever that is or complain about it or say, oh, it's a, you know, fill in the blank problem. That was a big part because I came from young professional engagement, people would always say, oh, that's such a millennial problem versus it's a human problem, right? It's a human opportunity. It's a human experience that we can use as a starting point to have meaningful conversations and understand each other more instead of it's a, it's a frustration that we're constantly just going to use as they just don't get it. Whatever, whatever, whoever you're talking about, right? When you, know, as soon as you start talking about them and othering groups of people yeah. within the team, that's the beginning of the disconnect, because you are sort of putting them into a category and saying they're the problem versus saying, wow, we have so many great opportunities to listen to each other, to learn, and to come together through what we hear. So when I'm working with teams, It really depends, the process depends on whether or not they currently have core values. But we always use values as the starting point, whether we're creating them by uncovering them through understanding the values of the individuals that work there. And then what is a common intrinsic motivator across the humans that work there versus a branding exercise of the words that are the buzzwords in your industry for this season of life. Um, That's one of the biggest differences is, particularly when companies don't have those values, a lot of times it becomes an exercise where a few people sit around a table and decide the words that make the most sense, according to the things I just mentioned, Um, but they don't take into account the human aspect of values, because we as human beings are walking, talking, living, breathing sets of values, and so are our companies, because our companies are made up of humans (laughs) So if we tell humans and your team members, you are meant to be intrinsically motivated by these values that we're now bestowing on you, you're kind of teaching them that they're robots, right? That they're just meant to adhere to whatever is being told versus listening and creating the space to hear what actually motivates you and how does that relate to the work that we do there and how can we be intentional about bringing these values into the way we experience our work together. So it's really powerful when we go through the process of either uncovering the values to start with, or looking at what your values currently are and where the behaviors are in and out of alignment of those values. That is huge because a lot of times it's, you know, if anybody's watching this video, I've got my company values on posters behind me right now. That's and that is a very common thing that feels like, okay, we did it. It's done, right? we got it done. We have the words, we have the sentences, but that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so in, so much in agreement with you here. I think there's a couple of things with what you just said. One is even the exercise of landing on the values should not be a bunch of people are sitting in a room doing it by themselves. Okay. We've identified it. Here you go. We're going to announce it to everybody. now start living and breathing these values. So in terms of how you even create the values, that process needs to be making sure that a lot of different people are part of it so that they feel like they're contributing and they're being heard. Um, And then the other thing that I heard you say is what are those, because I got to tell you, I hear a lot of people who say this and continue to say this, right? We have these beautiful values. You walk into our Company headquarters, and they're all written there, and we're all clear. We could all say even what the values are. Um, however, ironically, it and it actually starts to become demoralizing because those values and the behaviors that are associated with that are not what are happening day in day out in the organization. And this is where I feel is the biggest disservice and biggest gap because even if the people were brought in and they're being part of this exercise and sharing what's important to them. And then all of a sudden they have leaders around them that are not living and breathing those values. They start to really lose trust because it's like, we're saying this, but we're not doing it. So what do you, what do you find works well to help organizations to like really hold up the mirror around this alignment piece when it comes to values?
1: there's so many things, right? There's so many opportunities. That's why I'm so excited about my book because there are chapters and chapters and chapters on all the ways in which you can operationalize your values through behaviors, through systems, through processes, through actions. But I'll talk to you about some of my favorites. Um, One of them is this doing a baseline, doing a baseline survey, understanding what I call a values alignment survey um, and doing it on a regular basis, not as like that's the answer, but that's the first step in the listening and hearing. So for example, you could do something as simple as, say you have a value of accountability. The question could be as simple as how, often does our organization embody the value of accountability on a scale of one to 10? And then you could drill down even further. How often does your team embody the value of accountability? And then then what I personally love is how often do you embody the value? So we take each one of the values and we typically break it out into those three sections. This is something I hope other people replicate. It's I have the whole way I set up the survey written out in the book, actually, so it can be a cut and paste for folks who want to do this themselves and inserting your own values. Um, and then an open text box for people to say who in the organization positively embodies these values on a regular basis right who's like who can we lift up as somebody who's really living this and we can gain some proven practices from them for everybody else to to be able to benefit but really the question is just as simple as who would you like to acknowledge that embodies this value right and so that it's not an answer It's a beginning. It's a starting point. So when I'm coming into companies, we always start there if their values already exist to be able to say, all right, you're doing really great when it comes to these three. Let's pull all the proven practices and really celebrate and honor them and make sure the whole organization is aware of these positive things that they could be replicating. And then let's hone in on the areas of opportunity so we can do further listening. We can bring teams together to have Real discussions around the disconnect and where the greater opportunities are for alignment, and then start to implement. Whether that's training, coaching, whether that's changing a policy, um, whether that's creating new structure for the way that meetings or one-on-ones or annual reviews are being done. There's so many ways in which you can hold people, I, I use accountability as a value, but I'll use it again, you can hold people accountable to these values. And I think that it's, it's a lot easier than we realize as far as the systems but what's harder is the day-to-day human experience, right? We're all going to have bad days. I mean, you were so gracious with me yesterday. I was having a bad day and needed to reschedule because I physically hurt myself. And it's one of these things that um, there are other people who would say, all right, you lost your chance, right? Because I'm on a deadline and that's what it is, right? And so we have to give ourselves permission to be human and recognizing that it's not going to be every single day that you show up 100% in alignment. It's just not realistic. But we have to also be lovingly accountable to so, what's the best that I can do in this moment, right? What's a choice that I can make to get in better alignment? And how can I support myself in that first? Looking in the mirror first before we start holding everybody else accountable and then be an embodiment of that. So other people can see that same
0: possibility for themselves. Mm, mm. So rich. And I, and I love where you went there too, when you start to think about, cause it might be actually, if we have, you know, six, six values for them are actually going really well, but the other two are not going well. And they're actually having a big, big impact on things. So as you start to focus on that, And then having those discussions with a lot of the qualitative feedback, like you're saying to really understand, well, what does this look like? Where are these barriers? So that then you can start to implement specific things in different parts of the organization. Um, As I was hearing that, Mary Beth, one of the things that I'm, I'm sure listeners might be asking is what's the difference when you start to think about the core values of the organization and then your personal core values. So, you know, somebody might have a really strong um, value around fun and play or adventure, whereas that might not be the core value of the organization. And so what does it look like to integrate both of those?
1: That's such an important question. I'm so glad you asked it because this is something I hope I live in a time where I see this as a normal thing that people do is that when you're looking for a job before you even get into that company, you are so clear on your values and what matters to you that you are doing just as much interviewing as they are because you want to know using your example of fun or play as of the, as the core values that matter to his individual you want to be sure that maybe they're not official core values of that organization but you want to be sure by asking questions that that is something that's going to be honored and something that is a part of your experience on a regular basis, because all too often during the interview process, we're really putting our best foot forward. Of course, both sides are, i at least I hope they are, right? That's, that's the ideal situation. But sometimes when we do that, we leave part of our own selves behind because we chameleon our way into what do I think this person wants to hear and what's going to be the right answer versus I need to be present with what matters to me um, just as much, if not more, so that I can be successful in this role too. So going back to the bigger picture though, say you're already in an organization and you're realizing that there's a disconnect between your values and the values of the organization. It's a really wonderful conversation to have with your supervisor or somebody who you can trust in the organization of where you're finding there's some rub or maybe some lack of authenticity for yourself and be able to have a conversation around, you know, fun and play really matters to me. And these are some ways that I'm doing that. And I'm not sure whether or not that's a part of the cultural norms here that are okay, or if that's an issue, but this really matters to me. And I'd love to get your perspective on that. Um, Most of the time leaders are going to be really impressed that you have that level of self-awareness because most people cannot articulate it, they might say, oh, it sucks how nobody wants to play around here, right? Or damn, it used to be fun, and now it's not fun anymore. See, there's a big difference between coming to somebody with a complaint and sort of dropping it off on their front doorstep versus being able to articulate, this is a core value of mine that really matters, and I want to understand how I can activate this so that it is in alignment with our culture and so that I can feel a sense of energy and purpose on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, it's so important. And I like the the distinctions you made there. I I mean, one of the things that when I'm working with leaders, whether I'm working with an organization and their culture or the leader, um, a one-on-one is spending, like the very first thing that we do is get very clear on the core values. And it's such an enlightening exercise. I can't tell you how many times leaders recognize oh, that's why that didn't feel good. That's why I was getting so upset with this person. That's why. And they start to recognize all those ways that they were in alignment and out of alignment. Um, So I think it's so important. You start with yourself first, and then you're much more aware of what do you want going forward? But I like what you said there. And I try to emphasize this as well for both sides when it comes to the interview process you're not doing, you're doing a disservice for that individual. If you're not being honest about what that culture is, because they're going to come in and say, okay, what you said on the interview and what I'm seeing here is not, is not the same thing. Um, But I also say the candidate, you are, you are interviewing that company just as much as they are interviewing you. And there are signs. I mean, you can tell as soon as you walk into an interview, going back to the fun and play, if you go into the organization and you're, it's quite uptight, it's very quiet, there's no noise, there's, that's pretty good indicator that it might not be aligned with your fun and playful, energizing kind of energy. There's lots of things that you can be watching for. Um, But I think what happens is, and you know, again, I'm being cognizant of people are in different places, maybe they've been entering for interviewing forever, and they just want a job. And there's a different place when you're at the stage where you need to be able to put food on the table. And you might have to make something that might be, uh, you know, a role that you're going to take temporary till you get to the next role. So I just want to be cognizant. I know we're all in different situations. And it's a privilege for me to be able to say, well, I want it to be my values. And sometimes you have to take something temporarily until you get to a place because you need to have, you know, money in in the bank to be able to pay for um, survival. Uh, But overall, with what you're saying, I I think it's, I think, I think people forget sometimes on both parties sides around why it's so important to be very honest around the organization and the culture and the behaviors that each party can expect.
1: Yeah. And you made such an important point with this concept of survival, right? We need to have our basic needs met that, that needs to be a part of our human experience. And my, my encouragement to folks is recognizing that, even if you're working at a fast food chain, there are fast food chains that can reflect your values, right? That there are cultures in which you're going to feel great going there. It might not be your long-term career, but because of the way people show up every day, you feel a sense of energy and purpose and pride in what you're doing. So So it's certainly not um, like this only exists in certain kinds of companies, right? One of my favorite jobs of all time was working at a shoe store. And it just was the culture there was really in alignment with my values. And it was the kind of thing that when I graduated from grad school, it was during the Great Recession. And here I thought, here I'm coming out with my master's degree. I'm going to get so many job opportunities. And it was really hard. And I went back to the shoe store. I went back to the shoe store and that was like a humbling experience, but also it was an experience of, well, you got to do what you got to do. And this was a place that while I know I'm not going to have a career here, this is a place that I felt good when I was here. So I, I would love to encourage people to recognize that survival doesn't also have to mean pain and it doesn't have to mean suffering. Right. It can mean this is what I'm doing and I have a bigger vision plan, but this is supporting me for what I need in this season of life.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's really important because um, there are, I love the way you, you worded that because I think sometimes we can give away our power and give away our opportunity to do, to choose feeling well, like I can only have an hourly role. Well, even in an hourly position, if that's where you're at right now, there are many different types of places in doing that. And, and somewhere where someone is treating you and you're in a toxic, toxic, um, toxic workplace, your health and everything else is more important than that. Like you it's, it's being very conscious of, of the choices that are being made. And you you alluded to this a little bit, uh, Mary Beth, when you were talking about what does it mean to have permission to be human? Um, I'd like to talk to you about this one a little bit more because I, I think of this one as well in terms of us, each of us giving ourselves permission to be human, but then also the organization. What does it look like, especially when we look about look at a global pandemic and what's gone on over the eight, last 18 months? If anything, I feel like that's been amplified around what it looks like to give people permission to be human. So talk to me a little bit more around that concept.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that this means so much to me is because this was actually something that one of my clients told me that my work was doing. So the name of the book literally came from a long-term a multi-year client that during the pandemic, we shifted a lot of our work like everybody's doing, right? And we changed it and we really upped the human connection side of things. And it's a construction company and they are not really, this is not part of their typical cultural norms. It's a lovely organization. I wasn't there because they had massive problems. I was there because they wanted to do even more. And so it was an experience where the CEO came into one of our ongoing meetings and he just said, I want you to know that this work has given us permission to be human. And I didn't know that was possible here. And it was so powerful that after he left the meeting, members of the group, there's about 10 of us, reflected it back again. Did you hear what he said? He said, we're giving everyone permission to be human. So I hadn't heard that as a concept in a frame before. And then it just really, it was like a lightning bolt went through my body because it's like, "Yep." That's exactly what this is. It's exactly what's going on here when we are able to really allow people to be humans and and not assume that every day is gonna be a hundred percent and that every moment they're gonna be ready to go and that everybody is in a place of smashing all their goals and hustling their way through, right? Like that's just not a human experience particularly during a global pandemic. And so if you, if you'd allow me, I'd love to read you the permission to be human pledge. It really breaks down the aspects of what I consider to be the most important aspects of what it means to have permission to be human and full disclosure. I'm, I, I take my own medicine as much as possible. And I actually read this every morning to myself with my hand on my heart. Like I used to do with a pledge of allegiance <laughs> as a kid in school. I love So here it, so here it is. I promise to honor what makes me perfectly imperfect. I promise to meet myself where I am, not where I want to be. I promise to suspend judgment and ignite compassion. I promise to set healthy boundaries to protect my energy. I promise to prioritize my well-being by embodying my values. And in doing so, I promise to give myself and others permission to be human.
0: Hmm. Gorgeous. I love that. It's just, it sums it up so beautifully.
1: It's because it's, and there's so much more than this too, right? Like this is a, this is a whittle down. What, what do I consider the most important concepts of this idea of permission to be human? And I think it, it really starts with meeting yourself where you are, right? Meeting people where they are and being willing to have compassion for that place It's not to say that somebody can take advantage of compassion, right? There are certainly humans out there who um, will, will take advantage of kindness in a way that is not serving the culture. But generally speaking, when you show and give this kind of permission to be human in your workplace, you are gonna get such a return on your investment. There is gonna be incredible loyalty, huge levels of trust, psychological safety like you never experienced before. And in return, there will be increased productivity, engagement, profit, all those things that companies are looking for. And what's so great right now is that we are in a time where people are making big choices about where they wanna be spending their time and energy. So I just saw a a survey that went out recently from monster.com that said 95% of Americans are considering a new career. 95%, it's like, that's pretty much everyone, right? And so if you are an organization that has permission to be human, those people are part of that 5% that are so grateful to be in a place where they can honor who they are as a human in this journey and not just be another cog in the wheel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know you and I share this, um, vision and mission, um, very, very strongly. And so there might be right now a CEO listening to the podcast or a more linear thinker who feels like this is quite, there's a bit more cerebral and this feels very soft. Yet there's a part of them that's hearing this and they're saying, okay, you know, I I, I hear, I hear what they're saying. I want to give this a try. I want to start, I want to start implementing this a little bit. And so I I just got so excited when I heard that CEO, that that's where it came from, the permission to be human. I mean, that just, I I can't even tell you, I just want to jump up and down. I'm so happy I hear that (laughs) because I think that's the, you know, my vision is with, it's called inspirational leadership because I want more and more CEOs, and not just the CEOs, all leaders throughout the organization. I believe we're all leaders, It's um, whether we have that title or not. Um, but if we can have the CEOs at the top getting it, who can have that cascade down, and they're really creating an organization, a transformational organization in this way, to me, this doesn't just transform workplaces, this transforms the world, because what they're doing in that workplace translates to how those people are showing up in their communities, with their families, with their friends, significant others. Um, so there's a CEO who's kind of like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting on board of this a little bit. Where, where do they start? Like when they start to think, okay, I I want to start having more permission. I want our, our culture to be about more, giving people permission to be human. So I know part of it is they're going on their internal journey, but what are they doing? What are they doing outwardly within the culture?
1: I would encourage them to start talking to their direct reports about it. Begin there. Just open up the conversation. You've probably heard me say how important listening is, right? And so not only listening to what people are saying, but being aware of their body language, being aware of their tone of voice, really tuning into your emotional intelligence to pick up the layers of information that are there in those conversations. So if you're the kind of leader who this would be a brand new conversation, this would be not like a normal conversation that people would hear you leading, I would encourage you to start by saying, I listened to this podcast and I'm starting to think about things a little bit differently. And I'd love to get your perspective of what you think might be possible here, what might be possible in the leadership, in the way that we're showing up when it comes to this idea of giving people permission to be human.
0: Mm, I love that and share this along with others. I mean, there might be somebody that you know that you think, oh, this could be something that could start to open up their eyes, open up their perspective. Um, I encourage you to share the podcast episode with others. Um, As we're starting to get close to wrapping up today's conversation, which I always say goes by too fast. You're all audience members. You're getting tired of hearing me say the same thing. I never want these conversations to end, but I think they're adding so much value for you. And Um, But I'm curious when we're starting to think about this new hybrid work environment, and we start thinking about permission to be human. I think there's a a great opportunity here to apply some of this, Um, whether it's whether it's hybrid, to be honest, or whether it's not, you know, connecting when we're not in the office looks a bit different. So what are your some, some of your record recommendations when it comes to because I know you talk a lot about this in terms of creating tribes, and making people feel part of a community, um, whether they're it's part whether it's a hybrid, whether there's still people working remotely. Um, what are some of your recommendations there?
1: So this is a huge, huge conversation right now, too. And I I also saw research recently that showed that 75% of workplace right now, uh, the employee side of it, they would like hybrid options, right? And and if they don't have that, they're going to find another place to be. And so it's really important. And it's as somebody myself, I'm I'm really active on LinkedIn. So it's fascinating to see what people are writing about and what are the conversations that are happening from particularly larger CEOs that have a strong thought leadership following. Um, I saw one recently that was something like, if you've been able to successfully continue your work from remote for the last 18 months and now you're forcing everybody back into the office, really need to ask yourself some questions about what's really going on there, right? Like, is this an ego-based choice? Is this a oh, we're locked into this uh, lease in the building and we wanna make sure that we are getting our money's worth, right? Being being aware of where is that coming from, right? How are you making your decisions? Are you making your decisions that based on your personal preference as a leader or are you really listening to the people who are there and understanding their circumstances? It's funny, you know, we were all, very, it was like, how are we ever going to do this remote, right? For the first few months. And, and now most organizations have figured that out in a way that has not lost productivity, right? Actually increased engagement in some ways. And it's certainly not the case for every organization, for sure. There's, there's tons of businesses that can't operate remotely. You have to come in for the work to be accomplished. But being able to continue to be flexible this is not a temporary thing. This is this is what's happening now and forever, forever, because people have gotten a long enough taste of what's possible when they are able to work in different settings and in different formats. And so I would encourage leaders to really think about not only how are we coming up with these choices? What is, the, what is the root of pushing us in one direction or another? But surprise, surprise, do these reflect our values? Does this actually reflect our values? And putting it through a filter of saying, is this in alignment with what we claim is the way that we behave here, right? In the, in the way that we tout And we put up on these posters and websites and all these other kinds of things, are we really taking these things into account so that they are a lived experience in the decisions that we're making? Because again, values are not just about behaviors and the way my personality is, it's about the policies and actions and budgets and decision making and all of the kinds of things that are going to impact people on the day to day. So I'd really continue like it's I'm a broken record at times because I, I'm constantly saying, well, what do your values tell you about that?
0: Yeah. 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 Well, and it's good habit, right? Because it's getting people back to the most the, the question that needs to be constantly front and center with decisions. And and I like what the reminder that you made there. This isn't just about how the behaviors and the operation and people are operating and connecting and, and um, interacting with one another. It's about all of those decisions. And we could have a whole conversation around policies. <laughs> yes. Um and and I think what you're saying there too, um, you know, what, what I add to that is be very careful about having a one-size-fits-all approach because what works really well for one individual is not going to work for another individual. And I think if anything, people have really recognized, and and I noticed this a lot in the past pre-pandemic, were choices that were being made that people couldn't work in the office that really came down to trust.
1: Yes, very much so. I've had that experience myself before I started my company where I was put into like the special people category that I didn't have to fill out reports and log my activities when I was working from home, but other people did. And they would ask me about my logs and things. And I was like, what are you talking? I don't even, I didn't even know what they were talking about. And then that created a big conflict because people were like, well, I guess I'm pegged as somebody who isn't productive. Right. Mm -hmm. And that actually wasn't the case. It was just that there was a lack of trust. And so you need to be really thoughtful about how you're rolling out policies and processes and procedures in a way that you're not othering certain groups of people and that there is consistency with The understanding that there always are going to be nuances based on the individual and their circumstances, as you just talked about, because one size does not fit all.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah, really good point. I can think of scenarios where that happened as well, and it's very awkward and uncomfortable. And um, and and you know, and even these things, I've I've heard of ones where the company you have to have it logged on, your video on at all time, even when you're going to the bathroom and things like that. Let's let's remember that we're. We're working with humans here and we're not in kindergarten and, it, and even kindergartens it's a little bit different because they don't have the executive functioning yet so right. it's, it's not the right it's not the same scenario so let's be really conscious of how we're treating the humans um, when they're when they're working remotely did, that just came front and center as you were sharing that that experience. So Mary Beth, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave the audience with a final thought. So whatever is on your mind right now as a final thought.
1: Yeah, well, this is a final thought because it's really in my head right now for myself. And so I hope that it will be um, supportive to others. And and it's really this this idea of taking it one step at a time without judgment of pace, right? Like, You cannot have all of your culture stuff fixed in the blink of an eye, right? Um, There's not a quick thing that's going to turn everything around. And so it's a commitment. It's a commitment to yourself. It's a commitment to your team. It's a commitment to your organization. And all you can really do in giving yourself permission to be human in that process is take it one step at a time without judgment of pace. Just keep taking a step forward, even when you get pushed back and recognizing that this is this is not this is not quick, easy, fun, simple things that happened um, overnight. This is a long-term commitment that can absolutely be fun and rewarding and powerful and give you a sense of purpose. But just keep noticing those small wins and celebrating them and and keep moving forward.
0: Excellent, excellent advice. And where can people learn more about you and your work, Mary Beth?
1: Yeah, well, my website is sparkvisionnow.com. I mentioned I'm also very active on LinkedIn. um, And and we've got lots of really great stuff coming up too. So if anybody's interested in in seeing, we've got uh, pretty much monthly free online experiences for folks to be able to give themselves permission to be human. So we have all of that in our event section um, on our website. And um, for folks who are interested in the book and, and, and want to do this in their companies, right? You were saying, what could a leader do to start? We're doing book clubs with lots of teams right now because they don't have the language yet. They don't have the framework yet. And this gives a common spot to start. So. Um, for anybody who may be interested in in doing that further, we have that information on
0: our website too. Amazing. And that will be shared with everyone on the show notes. And just reminding everyone, if you've, if you've really experienced a lot of value with this podcast, I'd love a review on your favorite podcast platform and share it along with others. The more people comment and share and like the podcast, the more it gets in front of a bigger audience. And I believe that this mis- mission and this messaging and these conversations are incredibly important. Mary Beth, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, thank you. It was such a gift to be with you and your community. And thank you for being somebody who is already giving others permission to be human. You clearly are somebody. We share a lot of the same values. I'm just so grateful to be
0: connected. Same here. And to everybody, wherever you are in the world right now, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending you lots of love. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.